0: But now interest rates are cheaper. It's still a deal to someone at 8 point, uh, 8.3. And its interest rates when we were buying back then were around 4%. But people are now getting into the low 2% now. So it's cheaper to lend money, which means you can justify spending more. And this trend, I think, is going to continue
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm tyron Shum and in this episode, we continue our discussion with Scott O'Neill, founder and director of Rethink Investing. Tune in to hear his thoughts on retail versus industrial real estate during the time of COVID while strong relationships with the commercial vendors are crucial and where he plans to take his business and his family next hey! Anil shares more on his journey from residential to commercial real estate, what attracted him to it and elaborates on his strategy.
0: After years of investing in residential real estate, the I guess the yield was attracting me to commercial, so like many people, I was trying to replace my income as quick as possible. Uh, I didn't want to work forever, uh, and I could just see residential wasn't hitting those goals anymore. And that led me towards studying commercial investing. So I remember, look, I probably went through about an 18-month period of just looking at properties, uh, commercial properties, talking to commercial agents, reading every bit of material I could on the topic, and then eventually I just narrowed down my search, and and basically I wanted a commercial property that was food-related at the time. So this is back in sort of early 2015. And I uh, stumbled across uh, some properties in Perth. So uh, I I basically bought two. um, There were two titles, two shops. One was was about a 400-square-meter mini supermarket uh, convenience store and the other was a fish-and-chip shop. Now, the reason I was attracted to that property was a couple of things. It was, you know, it was an 8% net yield. So that was far better than anything I've ever bought in my life. And that was exciting. So the, the cash flow from that was, you know, that that was a considerable boost to the income. Um, and And I looked at the businesses and number one, the fish shop had been there for about 20 years. And I checked his repayments. He's never missed any. He uh, paid his rent on time, all the time. It was, uh, you know, it seemed like a good long-term business model to me. The supermarket, this was the risky part of the purchase because it only had nine months left on the lease. So when you buy a commercial property, you generally want two, three, four, five years on the lease. You know, you want, you want some security, but I was getting a better deal because of the shorter lease. So this is almost a bit of a value upside uh, component of the deal. So... When you buy a property with a shorter lease and you're confident that the tenant will renew, you can actually create equity as soon as you've renewed the lease. So, uh, at the end of that nine-month period, the tenants uh, basically renewed their lease and it went into a five-by-five-year lease. Once I did that, uh, you know, it was I worked with the uh, rental managers at the time to, to secure that deal and then we went back to the bank, got it revalued and it went up, uh, it went up, basically about 15% on the spot just because of the bit of market growth but also an improved lease security on it which the valuer looked at it favorably. And that's when I was hooked. I I realized that commercial is not just about cash flow, it's also about equity creation through growth and even value adds as well. So, you know, I was hooked from that moment that was our first experience and it was a good one.
1: O'Neill expands on the differences between residential and commercial. This time, comparing equity uplift and value add-ons. So,
0: there's a number of ways. Um, first one is increasing the rent value. So, let's say you've got fifty thousand income coming per annum, and somehow you can increase it to sixty thousand. You know that will have a direct correlation to the value. So, you know you want to find properties that are under rented, if you can. But uh, if you can't, you want to buy into a market that's growing. So like a good CBD market where there's a lot of demand from tenants will generally mean you get growth on your rent in the order of 3 or 4% per annum. So as the natural rent growth happens, so will your capital growth on your asset. So you will get growth. And it's the biggest myth I've ever heard with commercial that you don't get strong capital growth. I don't know who made that up. It was definitely not someone who owns commercial property because some of the best capital growth results I've ever had Well, most of them have all been out of commercial. So it's not a a residential versus commercial thing. If you buy well in commercial, where supply and demand is in your favor, you're gonna get capital growth. It's as simple as that. Just because it's commercial doesn't mean it's branded as a low growth asset. And um, I can't stress that enough. And the more you understand this space, the more you realize that you don't just invest for capital growth, Uh, sorry, uh, don't just invest for cash flow. That's the main reason people get into it, but the growth will be, uh, the, you know, the sugar on top, you, you know, the icing on top of the cake.
1: It's really fascinating, and that's the same thing. When I first started looking at commercial, that was my biggest question. You know, will you get growth out of that? And I, I also had this, and I had that belief as well because I had absolutely no idea what I was getting into. And then when I did discover about that as well, and understand how rentals can actually affect the capital growth, that's when I started to realize, hold on, does that mean then we could potentially? add equity by through our increase of rent which means that we add value by either changing the tenant or adding value to the property just like what we do in residential but at a much faster rate compared to say residential because I mean with residential, it's all market driven whereas with commercial, well, I guess it it comes back down to you know what kind of tenants that you kind of get in there, isn't it? Exactly
0: and you brought a good point up about the change in the tenant thing. So, if you buy you know, uh, a lower quality tenant, say like uh, a a car mechanic, and somehow you replace that with a national logistics business in the same floor space, Uh, someone will pay more for the, I guess, the larger business uh, because it's got a perceived value of more uh, security. So the the greater the security with the tenant, the more uh, someone will pay for a property. It's like a hairdresser versus a dentist. If they're paying the same rent, you're going to pay more for the dentist even if it's at the same rent value. So there's a lot of the, um, it's security of the lease. If you can increase the length of it, the better better quality tenant. Uh, if you increase the floor space where you can charge more rent. So a common value add might be building a mezzanine inside a warehouse, and then you can charge extra floor, uh, extra rent for that new floor space inside the building. These things actually add value to your property and um, you can take it to the bank and refinance and, and go again in many cases. So yeah, it's uh, it's just like residential but it's probably a little bit more instant when you get it right.
1: COVID has changed a lot for businesses especially those with physical premises. O'Neill discusses whether he thinks commercial real estate is still a profitable and stable investment and if investors can still have confidence in brick and mortar stores,
0: this is where a little bit of experience and market knowledge will uh, will really pay off. Because an experienced investor, like you know, you know, we're we're buying, we've bought over a billion dollars worth of commercial property over the last five years. So what, and that's for clients. So what that means is we get to see what's happening in the market. We don't like office space number one because coronavirus has basically shown what that you know people are not valuing an office space as much as they were once especially in the cbds because of social distancing and lift shafts and all that kind of stuff you don't want to be packing people in sardines into trains and shipping them to the city so you can't imagine the office market's going to be too healthy for a while so generally stay away from that market however office space in suburban areas might be better now because people might value uh a small office block in their local suburb more like accountants, lawyers, uh, physiotherapists, you know, these people need spots, you know, need space and they want to still bring clients in, you know, there is a, there is a need for an office. So it's not just going to go out of fashion forever, but it is a weaker market. Retail is the other one that can be weaker. Um, but then again, there are some retail that are strong. So I like to sort of separate retail into destination, versus non-destination type retail. So a destination retail means you have to go there to enjoy their service. For example, a hairdresser. You know, you, you're not gonna get a hairdresser out to your house in most cases. So, you know, it, you gotta go there and that shop front is relevant and it's gonna stay relevant long-term. However, there is a general weakness in new businesses starting up. The startup culture and retail is lower than, say, the startup in the online world, you know. And this brings me to my next part, industrial, which is more so your online world. So logistics, storage, um, even manufacturing at the moment is coming back online in Australia because supply chains from overseas are, are slower and weaker at the moment because of everything that's going on. So what that all means is there's a greater demand right now for industrial floor space than there ever has been. So we're seeing vacancy rates drop to all-time lows in most corners of the country, which uh, is an opportunity. So it's a subsector of the commercial market, which I'm excited about. And, you know, there's a, it's, I think it's quite low risk. There is a, there's a long-term need for more storage space, especially in capital cities as well, where, you know, you, you're going to mm-hmm. basically see um, increased demand and also major regional areas where, you know, it's next to airports and things like that. I can't see industrial going out of fashion and there's opportunities in that.
1: The COVID-19 pandemic has changed every aspect of life as we know it. Anil shares a recent client example that was a success despite difficult times.
0: Yeah, so in 2018, we purchased a uh, property for um, a couple of clients and basically, we turned it into a syndicate so I actually bought into that myself because uh, you know, obviously, uh, I loved the look of the property. It was in ACT. Uh, I hadn't owned any properties in that market, so we bought that property for six point four million dollars, and it was a very good yield, eight percent plus. Uh, it had ten tenants, and uh, look, the the length of leases was averaging about two, so it wasn't super long, um, but there were ten of them, all kind of on three year leases that were expiring at different points. So. Uh, it had everything from like a lawyer's office to a gym to uh, three restaurants to, uh, you know, a couple of other sort of small retail-like businesses. And what we did uh, in June this year, so two, June 2020, it was middle of COVID, we put it on the market. It sold within two weeks at $8.3 million. So it, it grew by almost $2 million in two years and its retail and it's in the middle of COVID. So um, that was just a classic example to show that people are prioritizing good quality commercial property more than ever. It doesn't matter what what's going on with COVID because these businesses are still performing well. Um, out of those 10 tenants, there was only two of them that had a, a very short reduction in rent over a two-month period. So it was pretty much perfect through there. And look, ACT is a strong market. We all know that. It's backed by government sectors and public servant jobs so you know you wouldn't see a sharp decline in revenue in that area yeah which is good so that uh we didn't do really anything to that property it literally just grew that quick in that period of time because interest rates are dropping people there is a genuine shift from people investing in residential towards commercial for the cash flow and um and this is an example a a local high net worth guy bought that property office and and yeah, look, that, that's the end of that. We're going to be recycling that money into another larger asset to hopefully repeat the process. So during that time as well, it was collecting an 8% return on the investment. So it was even just holding it was very profitable.
1: With a substantial 30% increase in a two-year period, Anil goes into details of the sale that made it possible.
0: Yeah, so we bought it well. Uh, the, the increases were not huge you know we're talking probably five uh, five to six percent growth in the rents in that time but the reason for the growth was yield compression so what yield compression is is people are paying more and more for the same rent value so you know that that property let's say it was collecting 650 grand income uh at the time we bought it uh you know people that was that was gross income that people would justify, yeah, look, it needed to be about a 6.5 mil purchase to justify it. But now interest rates are cheaper. It's still a deal to someone at uh, 8.3. And it's interest rates when we were buying back then were around 4%, but people are now getting into the low 2% now. So it's cheaper to lend money, which means you can justify spending more. And this trend, I think, is going to continue because a lot of the interest rates we've seen in recent times are still flowing through to the market so I expect there's going to be really good yield compression in most parts of the country uh, because yeah, look, it's it's the numbers work and that's the key like as, even a 6% net yield is extremely high when you're only paying 2.5% interest rate.
1: Anil shares how he was able to get the deal on the shopping center, what inspired him to do so? and the process behind it all.
0: A lot of it's contact based so I'm, I'm blessed to run a, a buyer's agency that focuses on commercial property so we've got uh, huge amounts of contacts in this space from every corner of the country. The guy that sold us that property was probably one of our most trusted real estate agents in ACT and he just let us know it was it was a pleasant experience negotiating the property. Uh, you know, we went down to view it. We, you know, met the guy, we worked through all the leases and the due diligence. He was very helpful. So, it's contact-based. Um, you know, there's probably about 60 plus percent of our properties are off market. So, you know, if you you, you would know by looking at commercial property, there's not much out there. It's hard. And especially, especially now that interest rates are dropped, there's less reason for people to sell. So, I do rely on contacts more than anything to generate good deals for our clients so without that, you know, we're we're just sitting on the internet like everyone else and hoping we can outbid someone so which is not a good strategy and you're not going to get deals that are that good unless you can, uh, you know, work your contacts a bit better.
1: Anil details if he typically has any contact with the vendors he deals with in commercial property and if so, whether that can be a good or bad thing.
0: Uh, For larger assets, I generally meet the vendor. So uh, another example, like we'll go smaller numbers after this one, I promise, but we bought an $11.8 million shopping centre in Bundaberg. So uh, there was a similar purchase to this. This one had uh, 15-odd tenants. It had a a major supermarket in it. Uh, And we met the owner, and the owner was actually involved in building it Uh, with his family he was a a, a well a very well-off farmer who basically was shifting money into supermarkets and stuff like that so and I remember he showed us all pictures of when he built it and it was in the family for years and he was very emotional about selling it basically and it was really good we knew every tenant by their name and we just I guess it's it's good and bad when you meet the owners if they're a good one like that then they'll, they'll be very open with you uh, you can you can just tell they're just really trying to help you feel comfortable, but also tell you every issue that they've ever faced with the property. Is there a tenant not paying? Uh, it's all part of the due diligence, which um, which is very important with commercial. But sometimes I've met owners that will try to deceive you as well. So you know, and and I remember there was one we met. We you know we flew to a you know a very far away place from um, you know in sort of north Queensland and you know, you could tell there was just something not right about it. You know, it was hiding us from going to certain areas, you know, certain doors were locked and you know, it was just almost a waste of time meeting that individual but uh, you look, it's this is where it's up to you to do your own due diligence and you know, meeting owners can be a good and bad thing really.
1: With commercial property often costing more than residential, many people assume commercial is always owned by large companies or conglomerates. O'Neill explains how this isn't always the case.
0: With the super high value stuff, it's uh, commonly syndicates, so managed funds and they're actually just divesting their asset moving on to the next one. So that's your 10 mil plus plus range, generally syndicates with the exception of a couple of high net worths but not not often. Under $10 million, like 5 to 10 million you're dealing with just like large-scale business owners that may have uh, kind of just worked their way up, They may have been a developer. They may have, uh, you know, basically been someone who's, you know, like the example I used, it was a farmer. You know, he, he grew commercial volumes of uh, mangoes all over the country. Like he just supplied to every single supermarket in the country. So he was doing very well for himself and he was putting money into, uh, basically into property as a bit of a, a safety net. Um, in this sub five mil, so you know, even just go lower into sort of your one mil and under, it's just mum and, mum and dads who have transitioned out of commercial, uh, residential, uh, they've held for a number of years, maybe they're uh, at a, a very elderly age that they're selling down. So a lot of our vendors are 70 plus who are literally just cashing out for whatever reason, um, squaring debts off, passing money to family members, Um, You know, sometimes they're sick unfortunately where you know, they're just, they're divesting assets, decluttering their life essentially and so that's very probably the majority of people we see and then obviously, there's certain developers selling off the plan stuff and all the usual that you'll see with residential.
1: He shares stories of some of the smaller commercial property deals he has succeeded in both for himself and for his clients.
0: A client one we did, it was a a very small warehouse, sort of 100, 100, 110 square metres type thing in Brisbane, and we paid 270 for it. Everything else in the complex was selling for 330 and above. So the reason it was cheaper is because the ones that had 330 price tags on it, which we also secured for our clients as well, um, but then this one came up, it had a weak lease on it. So it was under-rented and it was only 12 months left on the lease. So that did not compare to the ones with three-year leases so some clients would never want to pay 270 for a week lease one because they see it as risky but if you see the greater picture you'll realize that as soon as you secure a proper lease uh, and that tenant wanted to stay verbally as well and this was three years ago and they're still there to this day but what they did is they renewed the lease and uh and instantly it was valued the same as the others because they're paying well there's comparables to go off so that's just a really simple way of you know getting good cash flow, but also creating a bit of equity. And uh, I've got a similar example when I bought myself in 2016 in Newcastle, small warehouse. I paid um, 405,000, and I actually sold it because I was uh, needing some quick funds to purchase a house in Sydney at the time. And I ended up selling it for 500k, so it went up 25% in 12 months at the time. The reason that went up by 25% was a similar deal. I renewed a stronger lease, um, but the market was tightening as well. And that's the that's the thing a lot of, like I want to remind a lot of my clients and, and people listening, it's not just about trying to find value adds. Value adds are short-term games, but what you'll make more money in commercial by buying in good quality areas where you get that long-term rent growth and perpetual income. If you do that, you're going to make, a lot more over a ten-year period than a, you know, just simply targeting a, a, property that's got a weak lease that you can, you know, butter it up to make it look better. You know, so it's all about buying the right in the right fundamentals, and, and that's what I've always done with clients. We, we tend to to stick to the best quality areas because it's easy to relet. There's more capital growth long-term. There's less risk. There's uh, the banks like it more. Um, you name it. it. It's just better to sort of play play it safe.
1: out after the break, we hear about what non-monetary benefits Anil's portfolio has given him.
0: Yeah, look, it's it's just given us the freedom so uh, like and it it might even come across how we do business. We don't do this because we need to, we do it because we like it so we're never pressuring anyone to buy a property.
1: We reminisce about traveling and discuss Anil's post-COVID travel plans.
0: Normally, I would probably get up a little bit early like just to check the emails and then yeah, once you know it's under control, it's just a normal day, you know, sightseeing, you know, like we'd we'd travel with friends a lot of the times.
1: We talk about unconventional mentoring methods and which books inspired O'Neill in his property journey.
0: I haven't really ever had a mentor like probably the closest one would be, uh, would probably be my father's investment mindset and this might sound a bit random but he was very negative. And that's next.
1: I'm Taran Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. For those starting out in commercial property, O'Neill elaborates on how the lending process works and explains some of the terms.
0: There's two main ways, full dock loan and lease dock loan. So a full dock loan is very similar to your residential application where you just show your financials, um, you show the deal you're buying and you should get the loan if uh, if it all stacks up. Remember, commercial property has better income so you're going to be able to show the bank more income which means you potentially can lend more. So there is a, there's also lease stocks, which means you don't need to show your financials. So as long as you've got the deposit, a lease stock loan will actually give you a, a, a loan. And this has been extremely popular with uh, a lot of my clients because I've mentioned this, um, you know, in, in a webinar once and I've never been hit with so many questions, but what's a lease stock loan? And essentially it's, it's a loan of about 65% or more interest rates or... Uh, I've heard them around 3.7 to 4.5. Um, so, this is slightly higher than normal. But it's really good if you've got listeners who have got a large portfolio already and they're, they're struggling to get loans because they can't release more out of their uh, residential real estate. So, this is a solution. I, know, I use this personally. You know, I, I own a lot of properties. And for me to get a residential loan, I've got to show the bank 30, 32 different you know, contracts and all the rental income for it. And honestly, it's a six month process. And by the time you get all the info, it's a month has passed and you've got to resupply the next month's rent. It's very hard. But when you do a lease stock loan, you just look at the deal stand alone. So you can get a bank loan by showing the strength of the lease and loan terms can be up to 25 years. People think it's just, oh, you, you get a four year lease, then you're going to get a four year loan. That is the case with some banks, but some will actually go further than that if you know where to look and they'll give you up to 25 years. So it becomes a set and forget loan that's not associated with your other financials. So if you're a tradie that runs a high cash percentage business and your financials don't look red hot, then this is a solution. If you're tapped out of residential, this is a solution. If you're And it doesn't work with everyone and you've got to buy a particularly strong property. So I'm not saying it's easy, you've got to to buy the best quality that the bank will want to lend in this method too but but yeah, it's something people should uh, consider if they uh, want to do something a little bit different.
1: Anil shares what he would do differently if he started over again today, still knowing what he knows now. So
0: obviously, if you have like for example, if I with my current knowledge level and I've remember everything that's ever happened i personally would go straight into commercial and it's because i know what i know and it's uh, i don't need to sort of um take my time to learn things and that but i wouldn't recommend that to somebody starting out because it, there is greater risk if you get commercial wrong the the safety nets are lower you know like you might have longer vacancy you know the uh if you don't understand business and leases and all that kind of stuff you um it can just become a little bit too confusing so you know, you definitely use an expert if you're inexperienced in that space. And look, I I think residential is brilliant because you can go in with lower cash amounts. So you can do your 10% deposits and lend the rest. It's not a cash flow play anymore. You're therefore, at best, breaking even and hoping there's capital growth. And that's a good play, especially if you're young uh, and you've got decades on your side of investing. Um, Me personally, like some of the regrets I have with my own portfolio is I you know i've currently own 32 i don't necessarily want to own 32 it's it's a hassle i would if i had to, to start from scratch i'd buy less higher value ones and basically there's a few things to that better quality tenants less touch points um longer leases even better cash flow as well uh and, and that's what i'd do if i was literally starting my portfolio from scratch with uh, with my current funds i would I wouldn't go and buy 32 I'd probably buy 10 high quality ones or even even less to be honest maybe even five very high quality ones and then that would probably be better than my current portfolio but it's uh you know this I wouldn't have been able to sort of uh wait that long because I was really actively buying like like many people when you when you can buy you buy and that probably helped in a way at the time to utilize more equity down the track so uh, it's all de- de- dependent on your budget you know, you, you if you got a million dollars to spend, maybe it's better just to buy two 500 grand ones to spread the risk you know. If, but if you got a really high paying job and there's more money coming in next month and the month after, you know, maybe go up to your limit and you know, no, you can buy next year as well.
1: O'Neill's expansive portfolio has afforded him the lifestyle he has always wanted he explains how and where he lives when he's off the clock.
0: It's just given us the freedom. So, uh, like, and it, it might even come across how we do business. We don't do this because we need to, we do it because we like it. So, we're never pressuring anyone to buy a property. Like, we, you know, for the ever since I started the business, with the exception of this year, I've spent three months overseas where I literally barely do any work. So, if we were I guess money hungry, we wouldn't do that. We would literally stay and work because that does cost the business a lot of revenue every time we do that. but um, but it's it, it's enjoyable to do that. So the cash flow, I guess the the ultimate goal is just to I guess keep the lifestyle and it is hard running a business because like I'm surprised how how quick we've grown. like it was never really the intention when we started out to, I guess, to the point, like we've got 11 staff now, and it's um, it's busy, and I think it's uh, yeah, it's important to sort of step back, but it's been hard this year, like because it is so busy with COVID, and everyone is investing, it's it's sort of done the opposite to what many others would have thought. Like, this has not been a quiet year for property, and um, certain markets have declined briefly, um, but others have actually boomed through it. So, um, it's yeah, that's our lifestyle is literally. Um, you know we're we're definitely planning to go overseas for a long period of time next year if we're allowed uh, we'll see but um, the cash flow has really done that so I remember when COVID first hit and this is probably an important thing to mention I was remember in March and April the, the world looked like it was about to end I was sitting down and going all right I wonder how bad this is going to be for business you know because surely no one's going to want to invest and Honestly, the, the portfolio was the backup and, go, oh, and it wasn't stressful. You know, like we had bills for the office and obviously staff and all that kind of stuff, but it was all okay as long as, you know, even half the tenants were paying their rent. It was Everything would stay floating and, you know, for a long period of time. So that's what the cash flow does. If we had a negatively geared large portfolio and that happened, it probably wouldn't have slept. So it creates comfort. That's the best way to sum it up.
1: Anil explains how he structures his business during the work year and his time off when the world isn't in the midst of a pandemic.
0: Um, So it's almost like a Christmas shutdown, you know how you have your your, I'm shutting down from this period on your email signature, Um, I just give clients a large warning and like we spend a lot of time in sort of uh, Eastern Europe and Greece and all that kind of stuff So that's the worst timeline time zone possible for australia it literally the the hours you sleep are the work hours the nine to five in australia so it doesn't work well and the only way i do work is either getting up really early or staying up very late and um and that's sort of what i might just catch up on emails once a day for two hours a day uh probably make a phone call once every three days it's not not regular um because yeah and it, it's it's quite simple it's just we don't take work on. Well, I don't. I don't take clients on leading up to those periods, and you just got to let people know you're going MIA for a while. And um, but then at the same time, the emails will forever chase you. Like there's no escaping that. But luckily, it's it's enjoyable too. Like it's not like uh, this is a business that um, you know I didn't sign up for. Like I, I love property and and helping people invest means it's worthwhile opening those emails every day.
1: We all want to hear and talk about travel right now, and O'Neill has many stories of overseas travel to share.
0: We bought a house in Greece, so um, that's our new base. So what we do is you fly there, and then you um, all see friends in London. You know, last trip we did, we flew up to Scotland, then went up to London, then Croatia, then Malta, and uh, you yeah, basically you just do laps and and then go back to Greece. And then might do a Greek island or two, and then back to Australia. Uh, a few years earlier, we did um, we, we did literally flew to Greece just to see Mina's family, and then flew to New York from there, Athens to New York, and then literally did the whole US trip, and then down into South America, and flew dodgy little planes and all that kind of stuff around these very remote parts of um, you know uh, every like sort of that Central America area. So yeah, look, it's it's just like normal travel that people do we just do it for longer periods of time because we don't have the the four week annual leave limit so and that's what uh, like when you run a business you can either have zero holidays because you you actually work harder as a business owner i think well i did than an employee and but you do have the freedom to do that stuff a little bit more but it is stressful setting it up right because if uh you know if you don't you you your business might fall over
1: but how does an entrepreneur achieve the balance between work and travel? Anil explains the tried and tested method that works for him.
0: And I'm lucky. I've got very, you know, very trust. Like I, my staff have been there for a long time. And, uh, and you know, look, we, we tone down the marketing and stuff like that. So we, we don't attract as many clients, hopefully, into those periods. And so it does all kind of, it's manageable, you know, like it's a, Small business that's, um, you know, you, you can control things a little bit in that department but, yeah, it's about setting it up so, you know, if, if emergencies happen, they get fixed and it's like any business and, um, yeah, and then once you do that, you can travel a little bit more rather than work around the clock which which is sort of the habit you get into. Like this year without the travel, I've never worked so much in my life because, you know, there's no break and, you know, you just you work because the work's there. Simple as that. But but yeah, look, it's uh like I said, like the property investment side of things is um it's it's sort of similar to business in a way. If you set your properties up, you got to have rock property managers managing it. You got to buy the right ones that won't cause you too many dramas. And if you do, it should happen in the background a bit more.
1: To further fuel our wanderlust, a expands on what a typical day of travelling in various countries looks like for him and poses a question to the listeners.
0: Normally, I would probably get up a little bit early, like just to check the emails. And then, yeah, once you know it's under control, it's just a normal day, you know, the sightseeing, you know. Like we'd, we'd travel with friends a lot of the time. So, that meant lots of drinking and late nights and stuff like that. Um, we've got a baby now. So, we haven't done the overseas yet with her. So, that will be very different. Um, but looking forward to that, uh, except for the flight, especially the Europe... 24-hour flight that's i actually don't know you know if anyone's got advice they're keen to hear it but yeah that's that's something we'll have to work through but yeah it's it's just like i think we we do holiday like we were doing it for a two-week period but for a long period so after that you want to get back into your health and you know all the u- usual stuff you get back and do but um yeah look it's just like any other day sightseeing friends uh and you know flying a lot basically.
1: When traveling for months at a time, it changes your lifestyle considerably. With Anil in Greece for two or three months at a time, he delves into what that looks like for him.
0: People need routine and if you don't have that, it actually can make you less stable, less happy, everything. So, we've, you know, you mentioned that two months, like I've felt that, like I remember when we went to Europe for six months a number of years ago. like the first month was amazing and like you deal with jet lag for the first week anyway. So scrap that. And then the next week you, you get into the rhythm and then that kind of flows on for the next few weeks. But the second month you start going, Oh, what's happening back home? You know, you know, it's, it's almost a strange feeling, but that's why we travel with people. Cause it's like, you, it's like a whole new start each time. If you just sit by yourself, um, in an area looking at statues and, you know, Museums and all that kind of stuff, yeah, it's got a very quick shelf life so because um, every statue looks the same at some point, so it doesn't really matter. But travelling um, with people is the key. And then for us, it was about setting up an actual home in Europe and uh, we picked the island Mina grew up and, you know, that's Kos in, in Greece and it's a great spot right near Turkey and it's, um, yeah, surrounded by water and basically it's, uh, it's where we'll park up and, um, and yeah, look, we'll, long term, we'll keep escaping the winter there uh, as it's almost like a habit so we sort of leave June each year and get back around October and that's that's sort of the uh, long term goal.
1: Anil shares the unconventional method of mentoring he had when he was younger and how taking off the rose-colored glasses can help.
0: I haven't really ever had a mentor like probably the closest one would be uh, would probably be my father's investment mindset and this might sound a bit random but he was very negative so you'd show a property or a deal and almost he'd talk it down all the time show the worst uh he was an accountant um or you know basically by trade and it was very numbers based and it sort of led me to look at most things poorly you know like I look at investment and, and almost judge it you know like going down the shops and go oh yeah look that business is going to struggle you know you think that kind of negative mindset but then when you see one that you don't feel like that you can go all oh, right that's an actual good investment you know that i don't look at everything through rose-colored glasses i look at it from a or the opposite and when you have that kind of mindset it you, you pick the right ones and you don't just go too quick on a deal you, i don't run with emotion uh, and i learned a lot of that from him because he'd tell me i'd be an idiot to buy that and half the properties i've even bought i've been an idiot for buying those so it's been, uh, it's like, but it makes you think. You go, oh, I better not, um, you know, take this for granted or better not just rush in to buy this. And I'll always make my own judgment. And that's where, like, I am, uh, you know, I don't have an official mentor, I guess. I'd, uh, but, yeah, look, it's it's just self-taught through time. And, and yeah, like, there's not many people in the commercial space that you can look up to because a lot of the high-end commercial guys are super private as well. You never hear about them. Um, so it's it's a bit of a empty space, but um, you know that's why I, I have self-taught as much as I could.
1: He shares the book that has impacted his journey, how he discovered there was a gap in the commercial real estate book department, and what he plans to do about it.
0: It's called the Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking, and that a very long-winded book, but it talks about the property cycles of the U.S. since the 1700s and just maps it out and. Once you read that you feel like you can you feel like you know your place in the economy quite well it kind of just puts everything in perspective so that was a really good one um commercial like i've never and we're actually uh last two years i've been writing a book for commercials so uh, and for the very reason i i didn't think there was much out there so i've just put my experiences and my wife in a book so um you know that's something we'll be we'll be putting out uh next year and um, and then outside that, it's, it's probably just your classic, your rich dad, poor dad stuff like the mindset books are so important because it makes you realize that, you know, you've got to invest for cash flow and, and not just speculate and, uh, and that's what those, those books teach you and it also teaches the importance of not just doing formal education but uh, actual real life education and, um, and this is where this stuff comes in.
1: If Anil could go back in time and meet himself say 10 years ago, what would he have said to him?
0: Look, I would have loved to know more about commercial earlier on. I think that would be the biggest difference. We, uh, You know, I've got 23 residential properties and 9 commercial properties. I wish that ratio was the other way around because, um, yeah, it, it'd just be, I think, would be an even better position. But look, I'm pretty content how it went. Like I, I we've had stressful moments where we've, you know, pushed the Push the buck too much to buy a property, and the banks have said no last minute, and all those kinds of things. But overall, it's just sort of hardened us, in, you know, into a, a real good all-round investor. So uh, probably, probably, I wouldn't even want to talk to myself. I'd rather just let it run and hopefully it happen again.
1: <laughs> Anil also shares what he's excited about in business and his plans for the next five years.
0: Probably just continuing the business as is, uh, enjoy it. I just hope I keep enjoying it the same, the degree. So, um, we're building a house to live in so I can't wait for that to be over because um, we we're have we just, you know, we haven't started but it'll start next year and that's going to be not fun, obviously.
1: <laughs> Especially with a baby, I was going to say.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's going to mean we've got to move twice, and like out of this property and then into another and, you know, it's just, yeah. That that I look forward to just getting that done, and then, yeah, it's it's. I'd like looking to buy more commercial property and probably sell out of a couple of residential to declutter our life further, and um, and yeah, and that's that's the five year goal, really.
1: He finally discusses his portfolio and how much of his success he thinks is due to hard work and how much of it is due to luck.
0: There's probably a little bit of luck that we haven't had. I guess you know the amount we've done there's normally more mistakes so you know obviously you can get unlucky so we i think there's been a bit of that um but look honestly i I think before i do anything there's always you know you think of it for for a month straight and you think of everything that can go wrong and all that so everything's very calculated so um you know I, i always knew this business would do well probably not this well i always knew the properties would do well um, they're probably in line with expectations. Um, I think the next five years could be even better than the previous five years for property. So uh, I've got high hopes in that department. Um, yeah, and uh, look, I think just having a, a, a good upbringing and obviously being, you know, getting into property at an early age was was very important. And just like I said, not having a big mistake moment, which uh, which I nearly did, because even that first property I bought in Sutherland that rose to a million-odd dollars in five, uh, in six years after I bought it. So it doubled in price. If I bought a unit, which I was about to, that same property would have only grown 250 grand. So that's a 250 grand swing just from picking the right property and that would have made a big difference as well. So uh, again, yeah, that's probably the luck side, just, just going with the correct decision when I almost didn't a number of times.
1: Thank you to Scott O'Neill, our guest on this episode of Property Invest Story. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short six months. To register your interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040.